Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. Welcome to August. Hope all of your summers have been going well. Uh, we are finishing up a sermon series here at Urban Village called Inside Out as we explore our emotions and how they connect to God and how they connect to particularly the book of Psalms. And so if you haven't yet watched the movie Inside Out, I highly recommend it. It'll be a good way for you to wrap this series up too. I'm going to read Psalm 30 this week as we look at the emotion of joy. So hear these words. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought me up my soul, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. May God's word be in our hearts and in our lives this day. I don't know when I first learned about joy. Certainly, you can look back, all of us can look back on times maybe in our childhood or in other parts of our lives where we had a sense of joy and we can name that. <clears throat> One of the first memories of joy for me, whenever I think about it, actually, is when I was well into my adulthood. I was a graduate student. I was going to seminary and was taking a class called History of Christianity II. And part of the main um, era of history that we look at is what's called the Reformation, The uh, essentially the... Uh, revolt out of the Catholic Church by a man named Martin Luther, uh, and all that happened after that. Uh, this was a, a attempt to reform the church, hence the, the title Reformation. So certainly I'd heard of Martin Luther, I knew of Martin Luther, and I thought it would be mildly interesting to learn about Luther. But the day that we were supposed to be hearing about him, our instructor came into class, and you can tell that he was not feeling well. He was sick, he was coughing, uh, he sounded congested, uh, and yet there was this look on his face of pure happiness, uh, and I couldn't quite figure out why, if he's sick, A, why isn't he staying home, and B, why is he looking so happy if he is so sick? And so he named the fact that, yes, uh, in the midst of his sickness, he probably should be staying home, but he looked at the class with a big smile on his face, and he said, but today is Luther Day. And I can't wait to get started. So that told me some things about joy. A, joy can happen even when you are not feeling your best. And B, certainly I was thinking too about how can anyone find joy in Martin Luther? But 
certainly there are people who love reading him, love learning about him. I was not at that place in my life, certainly. But for our instructor, Dr. Jim Stein, he loved it. And he had joy in something that I found uh, would find not boring necessarily, but certainly not worthy of being all excited. And also he had joy in the midst of his own physical ailments. So that was an interesting reflection for me when I think about joy he always comes to mind. So in thinking about him and thinking about joy this week as we finish up this sermon series, uh, I was thinking about the different components of joy and really doing some deep thinking about what joy is and its different components. So I want to share some of these with you today as I noted as we wrap up this sermon series. And I think it's helpful for us as we have with all the emotions just to think about joy and what it is. I think when we may reflect on joy, certainly images like the ones I've already mentioned come to mind, laughter, someone smiling, happiness certainly is a common synonym for joy, but I've had some conversations with folks about joy and happiness, and are they synonyms, in fact, are they similar, or are there differences between joy and happiness, and it's an interesting exercise to participate in and to really think about. One of the definitions that I really like, I came across as I was reading back through a book by James Martin. He's one of my favorite spiritual authors. He's a Jesuit priest, also, uh, as I said, as a writer. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Between Heaven and Mirth, Why Joy, Humor, and Laughter Are at the Heart of the Spiritual Life. And as he talks about joy and happiness, he says this, in popular terminology in our culture today, in popular terminology, joy is happiness. And indeed, if you ever go through a dictionary, happiness will be one of the first things that you read about. So Martin says that in popular terminology, joy is happiness. But for the religious person, Martin says, joy is happiness in God. And for him, that's a distinct difference. And we see that in our psalm today, which I'm going to reflect on in a little bit. And we see that uh, in other parts of the scriptures, which talk a lot about joy. Uh, We see, uh, I did a quick search, and joy is mentioned 267 times. The word rejoice comes up 227 times. And so certainly joy is important for those who write about it and reflect about it in the scriptures. But I think for, for them... As Martin notes, this is happiness in God. Joy is a deep faith, trust, and contentment in one's life because one knows that God is alive, that God is present, that God is good. And that, I think, is one of the really wonderful characteristics of joy because knowing those things about God and knowing that God will never, that, that, that those facts about God will never change. That is one reason why joy is such an important emotion for us as followers of Christ. So in thinking about joy, there were kind of three different components that, among many others, you could go in many different directions in looking at joy more closely. But for me, as I was thinking about it, there were three components that I wanted to particularly pay attention to. And they're all three S's for those of you who like mnemonic devices, three S's. The first S is this, and it's interesting. It may seem uh, opposite of what I'm trying to say, but the first S is sadness. And by that, I mean that joy is a close companion to sadness. They are not necessarily polar opposites. You do not have to leave one behind in order to pick up 
another, but in fact they are together. And we see that in our psalm today. There are certainly uh, passages that reflect on this. The verse 5 in uh, this psalm says that God's anger is for a moment, but God's favor is a lifetime, and then notes that weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So we see that joy emerges out of sadness, but I think joy, because of our trust in God, because we are not dependent on external circumstances in order to be joyful, that joy can be part of who we are even in the midst of sadness. And I think this is one of the things maybe that the psalmist learns in this passage today. And I noticed this later in the week. Uh, if you look at verse 6, you notice that the psalmist is talking about the prosperity that he has. The verse is, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. So things are going well for the psalmist. But as you continue to go through it, though, you notice that the psalmist attributes his favor and his prosperity to God, but then God hides God's face and the psalmist is dismayed. And then the psalm, psalmist cries out to God, wondering where God is, what would a prophet if, if this person isn't around? And then the psalmist says, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious. O Lord, be my helper. And then we see, verse 11, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, as I read that later in the week, it struck me. The psalmist doesn't say anything about prosperity coming back to him. We don't know. There doesn't seem to be any comment on that at all. So maybe here, before the psalmist was dependent on prosperity in order for him to give thanks, but then after he stops having prosperity and he cries out to God, there's a transformation that happens. He's able to put away his permanent sackcloth and clothe himself with joy. It doesn't say necessarily that he is done being sad. It doesn't necessarily say that there are no more setbacks for him. But he is able, because of the grace of God, he is able to be joyful in the midst of sadness. And even if prosperity may not come to him again. Even sometimes sadness can be the trigger for joy. Sadness may be the thing that brings us back to God that brings us back into relationship with the one who created and the one who sustains us. Sometimes sadness can be the thing that makes us stop and reflect on the things that mean the most to us, the things that do make us happy and the things that do bring us joy. So sadness, I think, is a close relative and can be the harbinger for us to experience joy. You know, throughout this podcast, what I want to do is reflect on one man in particular, and I was reading about him this week, and his name is Jerome Berryman. Probably have not heard of him, unless you teach Sunday school somewhere. He has been uh, credited with creating, he wrote a book called Teaching Godly Play, How to Mentor the Spiritual Development of Children. For those who are religious educa educators, um, godly play is a component a way of teaching children about faith that has become so popular over the years. And Jerome Berryman, in his own research, uh, was is credited for creating 
this curriculum, creating this way of teaching children about their faith. So James Martin, who I talked about earlier in his book, lifts up Jerome Berryman. That's how he was brought to my attention. And so I was reading more about him this week. And it's interesting, in this book that Jerome Berryman writes, uh, at least a later edition, he opens up, you know, at the beginning of the book, often there's a preface, a preface or a dedication. And for him, when he revised this version in 2009, Jerome Berryman begins with the uh, sermon that he wrote at his wife's funeral, which seems like a really odd way to begin a book about teaching children about godly play, about how to uh, nurture one's, one's uh, child's spiritual development. But it was interesting that he opens with this, and in this reflection, in this sermon that uh, Berryman shares, you can see joy in the midst of understandable pain that he is feeling. His wife uh, died of cancer, and you can tell through the pictures that you can see, you can tell through the words that he writes uh, just how unbelievably painful this is for him, his life partner, the woman that he loved the most. And yet, in the midst of that, he gives hints of joy shining through, even in the midst of his sorrow and sadness. So I'm going to reflect on different parts of this uh, on these reflections of his, and he talks about, this must have been later in the illness for her, he talks about uh, hiking with his wife in Colorado and all of the joy that that brought them, and then he talked too about the journey of climbing up and down stairs and how that had become such a challenge for them because of, the, because of her illness. And then he comes up with this great quote, and Berryman says this, still being together as always, even in the midst of having to struggle up and down the stairs, was enough to bring joy. And then Berryman asked this great question. Do you know what you get when you mix lots of happiness with lots of sadness? You get joy. And we had much of that together. What a wonderful recipe that is that he names. What happens when you mix lots of sadness with lots of happiness? That's how you get joy. So that's the first S. The second S is this, and you can either use a couple of them here, uh, either serenity or satisfaction. Serenity or satisfaction. Joy brings these things for us as well. Serenity and satisfaction. A sense of contentment. And again, I think that may be a, a slight difference with happiness because happiness can be dependent on something external happening to us, some great thing, and that brings us happiness. Joy doesn't necessarily depend on that. Joy is because of our deep faith and trust in God, our happiness in God. Then we can be satisfied. Then we can have a sense of contentment. And that is so hard in our culture today. That is so hard in our culture today. You know, sometimes I think there's a a, a sense in our culture, especially in one's working world, where you must feel like you should never be satisfied, that there's always something else to uh, go for, to strive for. You should never be content with what you do, because once you do that, then you get comfortable, and then you get lazy, and then things, great things don't happen. But I think there's real danger in having that attitude of never being content, of never being satisfied, 
It's very much this kind of striving attitude we have in the United States. And in some ways, I don't know if you are able to really experience joy if you are never content and never, never satisfied. There's a deep sense in the Psalms of peace, a deep sense of contentment. And I think a part of it, too, in our society is that in our modern economy, uh, there is a sense that the economy is trying to create something so that we become insatiable, so that there's always something for us to be a need that we must be, um, that must, that must be met. And we see this not only in our economy and in the marketplace, but I think also certainly in social media, that's something that plays out. Just this past week, I was put something up on Facebook, and you may have read it if you follow me, if we're friends on Facebook, but I had had a time of prayer with another clergy person in the neighborhood, and I think we probably disagree on some important theological points, but he had invited other South Loop pastors to join with him in prayer, and I went a little grudgingly, but I went, and it was just the two of us. No other pastors showed up, and that time of prayer was wonderful, and so I wanted to share that experience on Facebook. And the thing about Facebook is that it never really allows you to be satisfied or content. And I found myself doing this too. Like I put it up there and I, like you watch, at least I do. And maybe this is something I, and it's something I do know that I need to pay attention to. You watch it. And then you see how many likes, how many other people. And this is a thing that just kind of feeds on itself. And sometimes uh, you get uh, disappointed if it's not getting as many likes, if people aren't saying nice things about it. And we see this not just on Facebook, but on Instagram and this need for people to have so many different likes, to have so many different retweets, to have so many people give you that sense of you are somebody important. And social media continues to feed on that so that you're never satisfied or that you're never content. There's never enough likes. There's never enough accolades that can come your way if we don't have a sense of true joy of having happiness in God. And again, we see this. I see this in Jerome Berryman. He was writing about how much his grandchildren would miss, uh, his granddaughters would miss their grandmother. He has three granddaughters. And he talked about how his wife was named Thea. He talked about how Thea loved her granddaughters. And there would always be a, a, a spring in her step and a smile whenever she would think about her granddaughters. And then he said this in, in his sermon. He said, their telephone calls to her from their home in, Cal- in Colorado when she could no longer get out of bed were a wonderful treat for Thea. Her face was content, though her voice had trouble making the words when they talked. Did you get that? Get that? There's a sense of peace, a sense of satisfaction with life, even though she can't really understand. She knows that her granddaughters are there. And that brings her a sense of peace. She doesn't get frustrated necessarily that she can't understand. She just knows that there's something unspoken in the midst of this relationship. And that brings her contentment, which I would say is a component of joy. She doesn't need to have more and more and more. In that moment, it is enough. And that then leads me to the final S. And that is to savor that joy slows us down. True joy slows us down so that we can savor all that God has given to us in our lives. So not only are we content, but we savor that contentment. We savor whatever it is that we have 
before us. I, I've been thinking about savoring this week, and it's a really wonderful word. There's a quote from a psychologist named Eileen Russell who says, savoring also means that you're aware that you're joyful, which leads to even more expansive feelings of well-being. So savoring, like staying in the moment of joy, whatever it is that you are cherishing in that moment makes you aware that I have joy. And that opens up your worldview to other things that you can rejoice in, that other things that you can savor too. And one of the best practices of this is, and I've talked about this often, is this prayer of examine. It's essentially, it's a, a prayer where created by a man named Ignatius of Loyola, And it's essentially often done at the end of the day where you just reflect on the day. Just reflect on the day and you give thanks to God. You reflect on your sin. You reflect on the things uh, when you have strayed from God. But also you reflect on what brought me joy today. What are the things that brought me deep peace? And we could come up with a laundry list of things. Maybe you can take some time now and just what are the things? And again, one more time, let me go back to Jerome Berryman. He talked about there was a time when he and his family lived in Italy. This is when he was studying the, the Montessori method of education that would be used for the godly play that he created. And Berryman says that in this little town in Italy where they lived, this is where we discovered the wonderful Christmas bread from Milano called panettone, which was one of the last things Thea was able to eat with pleasure. We warmed it in the oven so that she could smell it and give her tiny pieces to savor. Are you catching this one more time? That Berryman's ability to think of this thing that they savored, this bread. And then he uses it in a time when there should have been just great sorrow and sadness. And there was great sorrow and sadness in thinking about this advanced illness that was taking Thea's life slowly but surely. And yet in the midst of this deep sorrow, he found opportunities for joy because they were able to savor this wonderful bread created by the earth, which stems from God's creation. And so in the midst of this, he and his wife and his family were able to savor this and they were able to have joy. The very last line of this sermon that he says at, in, at her funeral, at his wife's funeral, says, and when we have finished saying goodbye, we will go out and on our way singing of joy. Even in the midst of all of these things, even in the midst of sadness, there can be a, a sense of satisfaction, of contentment, and there can be still savoring that takes place of all that we have to savor. That's not to say that uh, we always have to be people who have glasses that are half full that we always necessarily have to look on the bright side and ignore pain, but the pain can be part of the process too and can help us to slow down and to savor all that God has for us. And so I think we are called to practice joy. How can you practice joy? How can you slow down in your life and savor the goodness that God has given to us? And then knowing that that presence of God will never, ever go away, which means that we can, when we practice it, I certainly am not there all the time, but when we practice it, that that sense of joy can be with us at all times, at all times. Practice joy this week, my friends. Practice 
joy so that it can begin to grow in you and that that can be a wonderful way that others see the love of God in you and they may be able to experience that joy themselves. Be Amen. Thou my vision, well, we have finished with this sermon series, and so I'm grateful for your listening uh, along. I really enjoyed it. It's really taught me a lot about all the different emotions, and so I hope that you've gotten something out of it too. I am off next week. We have a we sometimes call it our church a freebie so it's a sermon in between sermon series so i'm actually going back to my home in iowa to for a few days my home uh and uh which which i love in the summertime so i will be not uh, recording anything next week but i'll be back in two weeks and until then may the peace and the joy of god be yours but be yours abundantly my true word i ever